Well, good morning, everybody. Again, <laughs> it's good to see you all. Um, for those of you that don't know, my name is Justin, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. And for those of you that don't know, sarcasm and satire are one of my love languages. In fact, I tell people I'm English as a second language. I learned to speak sarcasm first and then English second. And I was talking to a brother here before church started, and he said, oh, no, it's you again. And I said, you know, this is what happens when you get a pastor from Dollar Tree. You end, <laughs> you end up with me. But it is good to see you all. Um, I want to go ahead and pray, and then we can read through the psalm. We're going to be in Psalm 96 today. So those of you that are fast with your fingers, or those of you that search on an app on your phone because it's quicker, we'll be in Psalm 96. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your... I thank you for this morning, Lord, and I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for the gift that the Holy Spirit is, Lord, that you can come and you can minister to those that need ministering. You can convict those that need convicting, and you can heal up and bind those that need love. And Lord, I pray that you would move among us today and that you would speak to us and where we need to be. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, Psalm 96, uh, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It shall not be moved. It shall judge the people's right he shall judge the people's righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the field of joy, let the field be joyful in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. For he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and this people with his truth. Amen. So today is... Um, Really the fifth, and that, well, depending on how you look at it, it's the fifth Sunday of Advent, not the fifth day of Advent. And Advent is that time that we look to prepare for Christ's coming, right? We, we look ahead, we look at what the gift that Jesus is. And, and on the fifth Sunday, it's known in a lot of traditions, a lot of denominations as the coming of love, right? It's the Sunday, it's the Advent of love. And so I was, I was excited to prepare for this, and then I was looking at the psalm that I'm reading, and it's talking about uh, God being majestic, and we need to worship him and to fear the Lord, because he's coming in judgment. And so I'm not going to lie, I spent quite a bit of time like, okay, how do you fit worshiping a righteous and holy in God who's coming to judge the world together with love? And it took me a little while, and a lot of praying, and a lot of praying. But the Lord really kind of was speaking in my heart a little bit because I find, sometimes I find it hard for me to worship. And by worship, I mean corporate worship, what we do here on a Sunday morning. Singing is not my thing. There is nothing wrong with singing. 
And there's nothing wrong with people who do. It's an amazing gift I was not blessed with. But for me, I find I, I tend to not be artistic. I tend to not be creative. I tend to be a binary. I see things in black and white. And the Lord God has blessed me with hands and a strong back. And so most of my service to the Lord has, become, has been because of my trade. So I'm like, I worship the Lord. Of course I worship the Lord. I, I fix things for the Lord. I serve others for the Lord. I worship at work. I worship in all that I do. And I don't always worship the Lord in singing. And for sometimes, it's, some, it's just not me. It's just not me. But I was looking at this, and the Lord commands us in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 2, sing to the Lord. He told me three times. And I tend to be thick. I'm a little bit of a knucklehead. And if I figure, if my, people have to tell me usually three times for me to remember their names. And if I learn your name wrong, I'm going to apologize. It's nothing personal. I will call you by the wrong name for years until I get it right. Because once I learn your name wrong, that's just your name now. That's just, that's just, that's just the way it goes. That, that's, who, that's who I am. And I try not to. So usually someone's got to tell me something three or four times before it sticks. So I figured, all right, Lord, if you're telling me something three or four times, then it had better stick. So one of the things I was thinking about, we're getting ready to worship the Lord, and we're talking about love. And I love Greek, and I love Hebrew, and I love studying through the, I love studying through the word. And I love the Greek words for love because the English language does not have a good word for love. Amen. Those of you that can speak other languages, those of you that know a little French, a little Spanish, a little Greek, a little Hebrew... And I know there's a running joke about the little Greek I know runs a pizza shop and the little Hebrew I know <laughs> runs a bagel place. But I know just enough Greek and Hebrew to be dangerous, but there's different words for love because in the English language, we have one word for love. So I can tell you that I love my wife, I love my mother, and I love pizza. If I loved them all three the very same way, that would be really, really weird. <laughs> but we have one word for love. Other languages have multiple words for love, right? There is, there is phileo, which is like a brotherly love, which is like to say like, man, I love Pastor Dan. He's a friend of mine. I love Eric. He's a friend of mine. There's another Greek word, eros, which is more of a romantic love. So when I say I would love my wife, that's because there's a romantic love between us because she's my wife. There is a Greek word, agape, which is I love beyond myself. I love because I can't get anything out of this, but I love self-sacrificially because of love. And so when I was getting ready to think of, like, why am I worshiping the Lord, that Greek word agape comes to mind, and not because I agape the Lord, because I'm not that great, and I'm kind of selfish, but because God has that kind of agape love for me. God has that kind of self-sacrificial love. So when I'm thinking about worship, and sometimes... You know, it, it, I don't feel like singing. I realize I need to check my heart and I need to change and think about why I'm worshiping God. And I'm not worshiping God and singing because I like singing. I'm called to worship the Lord because of what he's done for me. And man, when I put that in the proper perspective, that really changes my heart. When I think about the love that God has for me. So when I'm, when I'm going through a hard time, and truth be told... When I'm going through a hard time, it's not hard for me to worship because I've been in churches long enough that I know when things go wrong, God's got a plan. I've heard way too many Bible studies on the book of Job, 
right? Where you know, like, oh man, my truck broke down and I got laid off and bills are stacking up and it's easy for me to worship the Lord then, but it's hard for me to worship the Lord when I've sinned. It's hard for me to worship the Lord when I have screwed up. And I don't worship the Lord because I feel like it all the time. I realize I worship the Lord when I put it into proper perspective and I realize, man, for God so loved the world that he gave us, that agape love. So that's one of the things I really love about this Christmas season is we talk a lot about love and when we put it in the proper perspective, man, it makes a big difference when we realize I love other people because God loves me and God loves me with that kind of self-sacrificial love that somebody who did nothing wrong ever and had every right and every reason to not love me first loved me and sacrificed for me. So I was thinking a lot about Christmas, and I really do love this time because you see a lot of people being selfless. This is that time of year that we're supposed to think about people. We're supposed to think about the annoying neighbor. We're supposed to think about that uncle that we really don't like all that much because he's kind of weird, but he's family, so we're inviting him over for Christmas anyway. We're going to get him a pair of socks or a sweater because we love him, because he's family. We reach out to people because they're family, because they're neighbors, because there's friends. And I can see some of you all poking each other when I mention the weird uncle. Nobody wants to come over. But it's because of what God has done for us. It's because of that love that God's forgiven us that we should be sharing that love for others. And you see, you see that come around this time of year, more so than normal. And in fact, it reminded me of this story, and it's called The Christmas Truce of 1914. It said, they said, it will be over by Christmas. That's what many of the 60 million soldiers sent to fight the First World War have been told. And like so much of what they had heard about the conflict, that was a lie. War had been declared in July of 1914. And by Christmas of that year, there was no end in sight. Millions of soldiers were dug in trenches along the Western Front. The soldiers were packed together, living in freezing conditions. Often these soldiers, were, these soldiers were living a stone's throw away from their enemy with the distance between the British and the German trenches as close as 30 meters. Late on Christmas Eve, German troops began unwrapping gifts from home, many having been sent Christmas trees with candles on them. As the German soldiers lit their lanterns and displayed them on the edge of the trenches, carol singing broke out. Soon enough, the British and the French troops joined in. Christmas greetings and well wishes were exchanged, and offers of a temporary ceasefire were communicated between the trenches. Fear and distrust gave way to humanity as the sun rose on Christmas morning. Troops from both sides tentatively made their way out to no man's land. The troops began to greet one another, and messages and gifts were exchanged. In a number of places, caps and jackets became gold posts as spontaneous games of Soccer broke out, and at least one of the German, one of the Germans' teams allegedly won three to two. Corporal John Ferguson was among the many soldiers who wrote about their experience. What a Christmas! He said, "What a sight! Little groups of Germans and British sorry, little groups of Germans and British extending almost the length of the front." Out of the darkness, we could hear laughter. We could see lighted matches, a German lighting a Scotsman's cigarette, and vice versa, exchanging cigarettes and souvenirs. And what makes the truce of 1914 so surprising is that there was not one truce, but many. The British-held area of the Western Front stretched across, across miles 
and was home to a huge number of troops. Dozens of impromptu truces sprung up across the front involving over 100,000 soldiers. While there were instances of failed truce or areas where the fighting continued, the scale of the truce was observable and it was remarkable. And the lull of the fighting lasted until the new year and in some places, but ultimately the pause was brief and the peace was short-lived. While a number of similar instances occurred throughout the war, there was another there was never another truce on the Christmas on the scale of 1914. One of the things that I love, love, love about Christmas is that it constantly reminds us this is a time to love one another. It's a time to love people. And I thought, man, that is so beautiful that during a time of war, right, that's talking about the ultimate time of people not getting along. It's not a family squabble. And it's not people arguing over about parking spaces or who got to make what side this year for Christmas dinner. People killing each other. And they still took time out on a massive scale during a war to stop and to celebrate Christmas and to have a little impromptu peace with each other. Amen. That is beautiful. Christmas is a time of peace and Christmas is a time of love. And so when I was thinking about it and thinking about the word agape and thinking about the words love, and thinking about the Christmas time and the Christmas and the coming of love, um, I found a little video I wanted to share with you guys. And um, it's actually, there's a really neat group called the Bible Project. And the Bible Project sought to take books of the Bible and, and scriptures and themes and actually put, put really good animation to them. Because how many of y'all grew up in the church and you've seen a lot of the videos and the cartoons that the, that the church has put out? And God bless their hearts. They're great folk. But you realize a lot of them are really low budget. In fact, it's kind of a running joke. So one of the things that I really like about this group is that they took time to put something that was really, really good together, and especially on Advent, on the coming of love. So if we could go ahead and watch that real quick. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day, it was a cousin language of Hebrew that is Aramaic in which the word for love is rachma. But then as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. 
Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. So as we're looking at a psalm of worship, and I told you this morning that I was a little confused how I was going to marry a song of worship with love, the more I started thinking about what Advent really means, those really come together perfectly. Why should we worship God? Because of love. Why, should I, why am I called to worship God? Because of love. So Psalm 96, verse 1, he says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Verse 3, declare his glory among his nations, his wonders among his people. So a lot of time, I was looking this up online, and whenever I get ready to study and preach a sermon, there's like four or five pastors that I love to read, I love to watch, I love to listen to. So as I was studying and getting ready for this, I saw this over and over again as a lot of pastors referring to this as a call to worship. It's a call to worship. It is a call to corporately and collectively as a church body get together and worship the Lord. And not just worship the Lord, but specifically worship the Lord in singing. 
And like I said, singing is not my forte, and it is something that I don't always feel like doing, because there's a lot of different ways we can worship the Lord. And like I said, I know there are some wonderful people who have a head for numbers, and they worship the Lord by helping the Lord do finances. They worship God in what they do. There are people who have very skilled hands, and the way they worship the Lord is they make computers work. They make screens work. They figure out how to splice a YouTube video together after I called when I, when I was late and, not sh- and I was already past the deadline to send in slides. They figure out how to make it work. I'm an electrician by trade, and I promised the Lord when I was trying to get into the trade because I wanted to get married, Lord, if you help me get in and get through this five-year program, I will do this for you because I've got no other option. This has to work. This is number one. This is, there is no plan B right now. This is plan A through Z. This is all I got. And the Lord did. So I said, all right, Lord, if you help me become an electrician, I will do that for you when the church needs it. And I've done my best to honor that. I worship the Lord through my hands. Singing, I don't always feel like doing. But he says here to worship the Lord and to sing to him a new song. So yeah, there's a lot of great ways that people worship the Lord. We worship the Lord through our work. We worship the Lord by loving our, na- loving our neighbors as ourselves. And in fact, the Bible even says that if you really want true religion, if you really want to be religious, then love the widows and the orphans. Love widows and orphans. If you want to worship God and you want religion, go love and bless widows and orphans and take care of them. And I know I'm probably not the only one that at 9.30 in the morning on a Sunday morning when I'm tired and my coffee is still trying to kick in and I'm on my second cup, I don't feel like singing, but the Lord has called me to sing. And I realize that it's a failure in my part. It's not a failure in anyone else. When I don't feel like singing, I realize a lot of times for me personally, and I'm not here to throw rocks at you because I don't know you, you could be different. (laughs) But for me personally, it's because, man, I'm tired and I don't feel like singing and I don't sing that much. And I stop and we think about, I need to worship the, I should worship the Lord because of love. I should be worshiping the Lord because of that agape love that we were talking about, that while I was still an enemy of Christ, he came down and died for my sins. And so when I stop and I start putting myself in the right frame of mind of why am I doing this? I'm doing this because the Lord loves me. And the man, it's easier for me to get into a heart of worship. It's, easy to, it's easier for me to get my mind and my heart right before God. And I realize I'm doing this not because I have to, and I'm not doing it because it's fun. I'm doing it because I want to, because I stop and I realize, man, what the Lord's done for me is so much greater. It is so much greater, and it helps me to put my heart in the right place. I need to sing my heart out in worship because that's what the Lord wants. You know, there was a period of time, man, I remember being so in love with the Lord, and I I wanted to do something to bless Him, because you stop and you start thinking about all the great things the Lord's done for me in my life. And if you've never done that, if if you're in a rough spot or a sad place, I would really recommend that. I stopped and I started taking inventory of, man, you know, I've got a job and a good job. I've got a career. I've been, I'm able to pay my bills. I'm able to eat. I've got a place to live. It's got air conditioning, and it's got heat, and I've got a family. I've got a wife. I've got kids. When you stop and start taking stock of your life, you realize, man, there is a lot of great things in your life. Even if there's hard things in your life, even if there's health concerns, and there's family problems, and money's tight, there's still a lot you can be thankful for in your life. 
So I started sitting to myself and thinking like, okay, Lord, you've blessed me with all this. I want to do something back. Like, what do you, like, if I, if you love your kids, you know, you can go get them something. You can do things for them. I found, man, it is amazing how excited your kids will get if you stop and you buy the, like, $3 things of ice cream sandwiches from Walmart. Oh, man, that'll make the day. That will make the night. My kids are all back there nodding. Like, we got ice cream sandwiches. So I'm like, dude, what's the equivalent of buying God an ice cream sandwich? I don't know. Like, I can't deliver it. I'm pretty sure Amazon doesn't go there yet. (laughs) I want to do something to bless the Lord because I love him. I love the Lord, and I am so grateful for all the things that he's done for my life. And he says right here, you know what he wants from me? He wants me to sing to the Lord. He wants me to sing a new song to him. He wants me to bless the Lord. And we hear it, bless the Lord, O my soul and worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul, and we'll worship his holy name. So when I stop and think to myself, man, what is it that I can give back to the Lord? Because everything I have has been a gift. And the only thing, what he asked me for here is like, hey, just worship me. Just worship. Just sing a new song. And man, when I stop and think about that, it becomes easier for me. I will worship the Lord because I love him. I will worship the Lord because I love him. I will sing to the Lord a new song because I love him. I don't do it because necessarily I love singing. I do it because I love him. And when you love someone, you do things for them sometimes that are uncomfortable. I know some of us are really uncomfortable singing. And I know some of us will never be on a stage. And sometimes it can be uncomfortable to sing. And it's not our favorite. It's okay. Now, I was thinking about it. My, um, my daughters did ballet for a while, and, I, man, it was a lot of fun, and it was adorable to see the little girls all lined up in, like, the costumes and, and makeup, and, you know, especially, like, when you get to the real little ones that, you know, like, they come out on stage, and they're supposed to be doing the nutcracker, and they're waving at people, and they get lost, and they're staring at it, and the teacher's like, you know, waving at them. It's, it's a good time. I liked it. So my daughters did ballet, and they had a dance recital. And so I went to the ballet recital. And now normally, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of a redneck. Ballet is not my jam. It's not where I go to in my free time, but that's okay. I love my daughters. They put a lot of hard work into this. So we're going to go to a ballet recital. And we watched, we watched ballet. Well, I, I didn't realize that when we went to this ballet recital and my, my girls were in two dances, this ballet recital was four hours long. Four hours long, and they break it up, so you can't just watch your kid and bounce. You sit there for the four, and it was, and so, like, and truth be told, I mean this with all love. I don't care about your little kid and how they dance. That's not, that's not why I'm here. I don't care about other kids that can dance. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to watch my daughters, because I love them. And in fact, at this dance studio, there were some awesome people that have, that were realizing their passions later in life. So they had a couple dances that were like, that were ladies that were in their 40s that were also dancing on stage. And I remember thinking to myself, why are you here and why am I here? There should be a separate, <laughs> there should be a separate day for this. Like, I'm here to watch, I'm here to watch like the five-year-olds dance. And then there were some like junior hires. I'm like, okay, well, that, well now there's some high school girls. Now there are these ladies in their 40s that are jumping around the stage. And I'm like, this is all great, but why am I here? Why is this taking? Okay, act one's done. We're going to come back. I'm like, oh dear God, that was one. There's two. There's two. 
And again, so now my daughters are in the second part of one. And I'm like, man, you could have been like the fir- in the first hour and we, most of us would have been gone. But there were other people that worked hard and I'm going to be polite. And I know they put in the effort, so I'm going to cheer for them and watch them. But then we went through it again and we watched my daughters dance and then all the way back up to the 40-year-olds for another hour. Praise God. Um, <laughs> I said, I, I had a good time seeing my daughters. They had a blast. They looked adorable. But I was not there because of a deep, burning love I have for ballet. Nothing wrong with ballet. It's beautiful, and it's, those ladies are more talented than I will ever be. I am now chubby with bad knees, and so, like, <laughs> there ain't no way I'm going to stand on one foot on my toes. I'd end up on my rear end faster than I could blink. But I was there because of the love that I had for my daughters. I happily and quietly sat through two hours of, or four hours of ballet because I love my daughters. So when I start thinking about, like, for me personally, man, singing's not my jam. Well, I'm not singing because of me. I'm singing because I love God. And I love God so much because of all of that he's done and all that he's given me. I'm worshiping God because of how much I love him. He, says, he goes on here in verse 3. He said, declare among his nations... His wonder among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens and earth. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. He says we should go and proclaim the good news. And once I realize what that good news is, man, that drives me to worship and that drives me to tell other people. That drives me to tell other people, he said, I sh- we should be going and proclaiming to others the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, and I'm not, I know after a while, a lot of the Christian platitudes kind of fall off because you've heard them so many times. Like, I can't tell you how many times I heard someone say, I'm just a beggar, I'm just a blank beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. You know, like, I'm just, a, and like, there's a lot of Christian platitudes, nothing wrong with them. But every once in a while, I have to stop and remind myself what's behind the platitudes and why it should really affect me. And then um, I was I was listening to uh, I was listening to um, Penn, was it Penn or Teller? I forget. One of the chubbier of the two of the magicians in Las Vegas, who's a very devout atheist. He is a very devout atheist. But I really love his views on Christianity. And he said, you know, I've got zero respect for Christians that don't ever say anything to me. He's like, I have a lot of respect for a Christian friend of mine because he knows that I'm an atheist and he still shared the gospel with me because he said, I love you. And so I'm going to tell you about this because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He shared the gospel with him because he said, I love you as a friend. And he's like, you know, that means a lot to me. He's like, even though I don't believe in heaven or hell, how mean does someone have to be to not tell me there's internal damnation? How mean does someone have to be to not at least tell me there's a way out of this if I want it? It's like he wasn't pushy, but he was telling me out of love about Jesus Christ. He's like, you know, it didn't change my views, but I have a lot of respect for Christians that will share their faith with others when they realize, man, I'm sharing my faith with you because I love you and because I really believe in this. And so that gets me, every now and then I got to stop and remind myself because I don't like confrontation. I'm not very good at it. I am over the phone, not in person. 
I can be, I'm 12 foot tall on the internet and over the phone, but in real life, like not, not really. And so a lot of times I will keep my faith to myself and I realize that that is a really unloving thing to do. I don't need to be pushy. I don't need to shove it down people's throat. But if I really believe in this and I really believe there is a God that is coming to judge the world and not out of anger, but out of love that I can't let things go on, how mean would I have to be to not share the truth of Jesus Christ? It says you should proclaim, declare his glory among the nations. Proclaim the good news. And once I realize what the good news is, I should be proclaiming it to my neighbors. He goes on in verse 11 and 13. He said, let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the field of joyful and let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Let the trees and the woods rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and with the people of his truth. All of creation is at this point looking forward to the Messiah coming. And every time I'd hear on, uh, I grew up in the church, so I hear a lot about end times prophecy. That was a big deal in the 90s. Read a lot of Dave Hunt before I really even knew what I was talking. Like a lot of end times prophecies. I, I was watching for Nikolai Carpathia. Any of you guys also left behind series? Yeah, we're the world. God's coming to judge the world. So I always thought of judgment as like this really awful thing, like having to go to court and you're getting sentenced for some. I always thought of judgment as a bad thing. And I realized it's not out of anger and out of wrath. The Bible says in Genesis that God created the world perfect and then sin entered it. And it said now all creation groans because sin and death has entered creation. And so that what, mean, what that means is that, man, things are not the way they're supposed to be. And God's coming to judge the world. Yeah, he can't let things slide, but he's coming to set it right. He's coming to set things right. Before sin and death entered the world, there was no death. There was no sin. You know, God said as part of the curse because of the sin, like now the ground's going to be hard to work. Now there's thorns. Now there's thistles. He said, man, when, when that's done, I'm going to create a new garden. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He said, man, lions and lambs will be able to lay down together. Little kids will be able to play in the den of serpents and not be bit. I don't, I don't know about many, any of you, but if you all spent time out in the desert and you realized afterwards you walked over a rattlesnake you didn't know was there? <laughs> I mean, you, you guys worried about rattlesnakes? I've, I've lived in a lot of places with a lot of different snakes, and I was telling someone, like, they're afraid of rattlesnakes, and I'm like, oh, man, I love rattlesnakes because they make noise. I spent time with some friends in Missouri. Cottonmouths don't make noise. They're scarier to me than a rattlesnake. Like, yeah, they said, rattlesnakes are more poisonous. Yeah, but they kind of tell you, hey, stupid, don't step on me. <laughs> I know they're there. I know they're there. Jesus is saying, hey, when I come back and I judge the world, that's done. That's done. You don't have to worry about your kids. They're, if your kids find a snake, they'll be fine. used to watch my kids all the time when we were places like Africa, when we're in the water in, in Missouri and in Tennessee, when we're walking out in the desert. I watch my little kids all the time because I'm worried, man. Hey, you know, they like to go kick over rocks and grab sticks in the bush. You don't know what's underneath it. Let dad kick it over first. Right, because I'm worried. I don't want you to get bit. You say, man, when I come back and judge creation, it's not this huge, scary, painful, awful thing. He's saying, I am coming to set things right out of love. I can't let things keep going on because, man, this is wrecked compared to what I wanted. So I'm going to set it right because I love you and I love 
this world. So he goes, he's talking about, um, he goes on here in verse 13, for he is coming, he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world and with righteousness. <clears throat> Sorry. He's coming to judge the world with righteousness and the people of his, and the people with his truth. Right now, he's also talking about the, se- the first coming. I usually jump to the second coming because we're in the new, gen- we're in the, we're in the new Testament. But here he's talking about I'm coming, and he's talking about the coming of the Messiah. This is something that was looked forward to for generations and generations and generations. He's talking about the coming of the Messiah. And he's also coming, again, like I said, to set the world right, to judge the world and set the world right. It was something I was thinking about because I was talking to a friend of mine who um, at work was sharing a story with me about um, how he had been wronged by other people, and he got his day in court, and they set it straight. So one of the other great things about God coming to judge the world is he's going to set all the injustices right. He's going to set all the injustices right. So he was telling me, his, um, he's a friend of mine at work, and he said his daughter moved into this new house, and they had a neighbor that was um, rather unpleasant. For those of you that are named Karen, I apologize. The term he used is that she was a Karen. Right, you know the pop culture turn that she was an she was an older lady that just was ca- that caused problems without the entire neighborhood, right? She was always on the phone with the HOA. She was always on the phone. The police, she called the police, and he was talking to the police officer. Oh yeah, we know this lady. Like she calls us at least four times a week, and they lived in a really nice neighborhood. There was no crime. She just called the cops on everybody and about everything, and so what had happened is she had bought handicapped signs. And she had put them in places because she wanted reserved parking. Well, if you know anything about zoning and planning and how cities and communities are put together, they reserve certain amount of parking spots for handicap, and they reserve a certain amount of parking spots for everybody else so that they're, they plan on having enough parking spots for this community. Well, she went around and put up handicap placard signs in normal parking spots because she wanted to park there, and she was one of the only people with a handicap placard. So she went and bought these on her own fruition and drove them into the ground. And uh, it wasn't there when he parked. He pulled in. She called the cops and said, hey, he parked in a handicapped spot. And so he went outside to meet the police department, the police officer, as he's helping move his daughter in and unload his pickup truck. And they said, yeah, you're in a handicapped spot. And he's like, well, it wasn't there before. And he's like, well, it's there now. And he picked it up. And he's like, well, if I take it out, he's like, if you pull it out of the ground, then it's not there. And I won't write you a ticket. So obviously pull it out of the ground. There's no handicapped spot here. So off he went. Well, she called the cops on him again and again. And there was nothing the law enforcement was going to do, and she got really mad at him. So he said he ac- she actually filed a lawsuit claiming that he had assaulted her on a particular date and filed a police report saying, yeah, he shoved me. I went, I went out there nicely to talk to him, and he was yelling and cussing at me. He shoved me into a bush. He called me a bunch of names. So I want to take him to court and I'm going to sue him because of the way he treated me. So he went to court and the ju- and and you know she got up there and was talking about how she was scream how he was screaming and called her names and shoved her and he showed her he showed the judge pictures and timestamps and the Carnival cruise ticket. He and his wife were in the Bahamas on the date that he assaulted her. He got his day in court and the judge set things right. In fact, they even said, if you want to countersue, you've got a great case. (laughs) 
She was a mean old lady on a pension. What am I going to take from her? I don't need to sue her for this, but we're going to move out of this neighborhood now. And why do I bring that up? Because I'm thinking when the Lord comes to judge, he's going to set things right. You're going to have a day in court. God's going to set things right. Have you ever had things done to you that were not right? Have you ever been treated unfairly? Have you had people in your life that were taken too soon because of car accidents and cancer? And God said, man, this world is not supposed to have death. And this world is not supposed to have disease. And this world wasn't supposed to be violent. But I'm coming to set that right. I am coming to set that right. Why do I worship the Lord? Because not only is he love, but he loves me. He is coming to set that right. So I want to remember that. Why? Why do I worship God? Because God is love and God loves me first. God is love and God loved me first. So when I was thinking about love and... um, got a lot of great Christian friends all over the world so usually this time of year my Facebook page is flooded with cute Christian memes with things like mangers and say tis like tis the season tis the reason and love and I picture love at Christmas time because I grew up I was fortunate with a great family right I picture my parents and my aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents And when I think of love on Christmas, I'm picturing opening Christmas presents, going to church on Christmas Eve, little mangers, the wise men, Mary and Joseph. We've got a lot of great symbols, but after a while, after a while, they've lost meaning to me because I grew up with them. And they're cutesy. And I stop and I start thinking about, man, what does that love really look like? And I know I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, But man, I think one of the things that I love about Easter is because the symbolism is a cross and a crown of thorns. And so one of the things that really drives me to love and drives me to worship on Christmas Eve is, yes, thinking about the coming Messiah, but I'm also thinking about the returning Messiah because of what he's done for me. Amen. Thinking about the death of a Savior thinking about how much Jesus loves me. We were talking about that word agape. It's like, man, I am worshiping not because of a manger. I am worshiping because of an open tomb. So in my heart, when I don't feel like worshiping on a Sunday morning because maybe I've done something really stupid that week, or maybe because somebody's done something wrong to me, I've lost my job, somebody, I've got friends and family that that struggle with things, and like, oh, great, there he goes and doing off off doing that thing again somebody's off the wagon i'm going to be praying for him but this is that's him i lost my job again somebody did something wrong to me and destroyed a relationship man i worship because not because of those temporal things i get to worship the lord because god said i came for you because of that i came for you first i had that agape love that said i love you even when you didn't even know who I was. When you were still an enemy of mine, I loved you first. So man, what really moves my heart to worship, when I stop and think about it, is man, God loved me first. So we're talking about the Advent, the coming of love and worship, and I did not know how well those were going to go together, but man, the more the time that I stopped and thought about the coming of Christ 
and all the love that God's had for me, man, that does just want to drive me to worship. So with that, I'd like to pray and we'll take a few minutes to worship our Lord together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for all that you've done and all that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your agape love. We thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve it, Lord. You said we were, at, and we were an enemy of you, Lord. We were against you, and you loved us so much to come down and to die for us. Lord, I don't even know what that cost you. I can't even imagine what that cost you. And I am so thankful that you had that love for me. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us this week. You would help us to love one another, God. You would drive us to worship, and you would drive us to love our neighbors and love our family and friends and coworkers because you first loved us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.